I'm Reverend Harry Bridge. And I'm Dr. Scott Mitchell, and this is the Dharma Realm Podcast. We're coming to you from the Jodo Shinshu Center in Berkeley, California. This is the Dharma Realm Podcast for January 10th, 2014, and today we are asking the question, why Buddhism? With a special guest, Mushim Ikeda. Well, we're very excited to start out the new year uh, with uh, an exciting episode, and um, part of the excitement is because of the topic. Uh, it seems really bas- like a really basic question of asking why Buddhism, uh, but I think that it's actually really fascinating. Uh, but before we jump into that, uh, we want to introduce our special guest, our first uh, guest on our show. Yeah, Welcome. that's part of how special it is. Uh, <laughs> our guest is Mushim Ikeda. Uh, and just to briefly introduce her, she is a Buddhist teacher, author, mentor, and community activist. Uh, and she is currently the community coordinator and a core teacher for the East Bay Meditation Center, uh, which is in Oakland. And she also lives in Oakland. Uh, and so we're really, really happy to have her here. Um, I've been... I've known her for a while now, several years actually, uh, and if I can share a brief story to kind of introduce her, um, she's not Jodo Shinshu, gasp, shock, horror, <laughs> no, that's part of the excitement, and part of why it's so exciting is because um, I think BCA ministers, sometimes we don't have a lot of interaction with other Buddhists, uh, and I was fortunate to participate in a retreat uh, with Mushim and other uh, Asian, Asian-American, part Asian uh, Dharma teachers, and I really felt like she was the first Buddhist of another school of Buddhism that I just felt really comfortable with, uh, felt really um, able to just relax and just be myself and not feel like there was competition or, or you know, our, our schools were competing or something like that, and that's, I think, actually really, really special, so, um, we're, and I've been able to work with her since then on some really interesting stuff, so we're happy to have her here. Welcome aboard. Thank you very much. Um, so our topic is, just seems really basic, almost, almost stupid. <laughs> Why Buddhism? Right? And I think that hearing that uh, might bring up, each person is going to hear the question differently, I think. Um, it could be viewed as, I don't know. I don't want to color it. So, so to me, it's just kind of a question that as a minister now for seven years and a student for, what, 15, 20 years, seems almost too basic, um, too basic to ask, maybe. Uh, but actually, I think it's really kind of interesting, and I think there's a real diversity of um, possible answers. Uh, so we want to kind of throw that out there. Why Buddhism? Go. Go. <laughs> what do you think, Scott? No. Um, well, I, I, before we were recording, I was mentioning a, a little while ago that um, we, uh, I feel like we've, we've discussed a similar issue a few episodes back about why do Shin Buddhists practice, um, and that generated an interesting conversation in my mind about this distinction between, or not distinction, but uh, I guess uh, the question of motivations, why people want to do practice. Now, that might be different from... Uh, why why do Buddhist practice is a slightly different question from why Buddhism. But I I when you asked this question, that's 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 what I heard as you were saying. Okay. Um, you could hear the question lots of different ways. I heard it. Why do this thing? Why engage in Buddhism? Um, so that's one way to go at it. But mm-hmm. however, I think Scott that you're bringing up a valuable point. 
a book that I often recommend to people who say, I'd like to learn about Buddhism, I don't know anything about it, is by Nancy Wilson Ross. And the title is Buddhism, A Way of Life and Thought. A Way of Life and Thought. And so even though maybe we could do some technical talk and say, well, Buddhism is separate from Buddhist practice Mm -hmm. or action, I, in fact, would argue that part of why Buddhism is that it is a way of life and thought, meaning that we look at our actions in the world, we look at the way our thoughts translate into actions, and we have specific practices which then have a feedback loop into our thoughts our behaviors and the consequences upon ourselves and others. So to me, it's very, very Mm -hmm. action-oriented. Yeah, I remember when, um, because I wasn't brought up Buddhist, I heard about it once or twice, but it didn't interest me in the least. It wasn't, it was really kind of off the radar. And then it was hearing a Dharma message um, at a memorial service that I just happened to be at, a friend's grandfather's memorial service. I think I've talked about it before. Um, and so it was just fascinating. I don't even remember what he talked about, the minister. It was Reverend Abiko, and it was down in Palo Alto. But I just remember being fascinated by it. And I think it was because I was 20. Um, I was at college trying to grow up, <laughs> you know, um, interested in life and, you know, um, uh, I think it just, it seemed to, 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 to talk about how to live your life, right? And maybe I hadn't really heard much about that. I didn't, I sat in on a philosophy class and I didn't like the teacher, so I left after the first class. So like I didn't, and I never took philosophy in high school. So like, I, there was an ethics class in high school actually that was interesting, but not religious, it was secular. Uh, and so I'd thought about life kind of questions before, but then ma- hearing it, in a Dharma message from a Buddhist minister just like lit my brain on fire. <laughs> so for me, it was why Buddhism, because it was interesting, because there was something really fascinating about it, even though I didn't know yet why. I, I don't think I knew what questions I was asking yet. Um, I wasn't applying it to my life yet, um, but that kind of lit the spark for me. Um, and I think it was because it was... Um, giving me a, a, a context to think about life, right? Giving me a context to think about who I was and, and how I was living my life that maybe I hadn't encountered yet um, or that didn't grab me yet, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Sometimes uh, when I'm teaching, I call Buddhism the bummer religion <laughs> because I feel as though we, we don't have a lot of goodies to offer. We don't say... If you act or have this system of beliefs and do these things, then when you die, there's going to be this heavenly reward for you, or um, you know, at least in in the sex and the lineage that I that I come through, we we don't have that to offer. Like, well, maybe, but then again, maybe not. Uh, and it's it's so much about the here and now. It's about the present moment, and it's about. For me, it's, it's about looking honestly beyond rhetoric and beyond philosophy as to what is actually happening um, and looking at those skillful means. So I'll give you a for instance. And this was a long time ago when my son, who's now 24 and a half, 
was a toddler, and we were living for a year at Green Gulch Farm Zen Center over in Marin. So here we are. It's a partially monastic, certainly very practice-oriented Zen Center. Uh, it's part of the San Francisco Zen Center complex. And so we were walking along. He was toddling along. He had, had, was just kind of unsteady on his legs. We were walking along in this beautiful, natural setting, and I thought, ah, as his parent, I should try to impart some dharma to him. And so I began singing one of those Thich Nhat Hanh songs, which was, you know, breathing in, breathing out, breathing in, breathing out. And he began breathing in and out. And then he breathed in and out and in and out and faster and faster and faster until he hyperventilated and threw himself down on the ground, rolling in the mud and laughing. He was high as a kite at the top of his lungs. And I thought, well, that didn't work. (laughs) So I never sang that song to him again. So it's really, it, you know, it's really looking at how we interact, for me, how we interact with other people, how we interact with the environment, and it is, there's so much room for spontaneity and for creativity in the living dharma. Mm-hmm. 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 That's I think, fantastic. One thing I think that people, uh, quote-unquote people, seem to <laughs> like about Buddhism is that it seems like not dogmatic. And I think it can be dogmatic sometimes, of right? <laughs> but I think ideally there is this thing about Buddhism that people like where it's not this dogma of you just have to believe this or you just have to do this, right? And that um, a lesson that could be totally helpful and positive to one person can have different unintended effects for someone else who are not listening to it in a certain way. And it wasn't necessarily bad. It was actually sounds like a really positive experience for him. You had to clean him up, but <laughs> no, it, it was just it was just really fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's it's I'm not actually saying it was good or or bad. Mm-hmm. Just that I know that probably the intended effect of those songs, yeah, right. if you sing them to children, is they're all sitting there smiling angelically, and they're singing it soulfully. And I just happened to have a rebel. I don't know where he got those qualities from. <laughs> Uh, and he, he thought it was freaking hilarious. <laughs> I thought the part, too, about what you said earlier about the... Um, it's not about rhetoric and philosophy, although there's a lot of rhetoric and there's a lot of philosophy. <laughs> it is a world mm-hmm. religion. It is mm-hmm. a 2,600-year-old tradition, yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But that's... We, sometimes we get... I don't know. It's easy to get caught up in that, right? And thinking that that's um, what's important. Um, I think especially when you become a professional, quote unquote, right? An expert kind of thing where that's your job. Uh, We were talking a little, like I have a job as a Buddhist minister. I'm very fortunate, actually. But I think sometimes it can, that can be an impediment sometimes that I don't see things as they are, that you kind of fall into this routine of work or, or ritual. And that's not necessarily a bad thing either, right? But, um, but not that, I, what I like about Buddhism is I think it encourages me not to get stuck in that, right? And that that's part of the challenge for me uh, is to, to um, be aware of myself, be aware of my own motivations uh, and just this continual process of working and living. 
Yeah, living your life. Yeah. And engaging with life. I mean, that's the, mm-hmm. the spontaneity and the present moment. And, and engaging um, compassionately mm-hmm. with life. Yeah, the, the, I think that gets to my question about motivation, too. And not, not necessarily motivation, but intention, intentionality. And, um, it, you know, this, the, what you said about the intention of the song, not good or bad, but, you know, that song was written with a particular idea in mind or some intention or some purpose or whatever. And then in this other context, it has a completely different effect. So sort of negotiating our intentions and motivations in each moment and figuring, okay, this is sort of what I want to do. Hopefully it will do this. Hopefully it's compassionate. Maybe it won't, or maybe it'll be received in a different way, or maybe this work, you know, thinking about what we're doing right now, for example, we're recording the show um, and this isn't going to go live for a few weeks and who knows what, you know, we're, I think all sitting here with a certain intention to record an interesting show and who knows how that will be received mm-hmm. weeks from now months, years from now in some other way. We have no way of knowing that or controlling that. And that's kind of a, a weird thought to, you know, to sort of think about how our actions have these consequences far beyond uh, the present moment too. And that's something else I've gained from Buddhism is this sense of uh, awe almost, the sense of, you know, I want to be here in this moment, but this moment is this moment, but also 10,000 moments in the future. And it's all related and I don't even... Uh, <laughs> it's, just, it's just too much. <laughs> You're frozen. Cannot do anything. Right, but also knowing that you have to do something, and even yes. not doing something is doing something, and that has consequences. And so, well, okay, got to make a decision and go and, and figure out how best to live your life and be in the world and, and engage with the world and not not be the deer in headlights and just completely disconnect. Um, you know, stories about kids get me now more since I have my own daughter who's two and, you know, funny things happen. You know, we have a, the, the butsudan, the altar at home, and she likes putting toys on it all the time. Often when I'm not home, so I'll just come home and be putting myself away. It's like, oh, there's a, a frog next to the Buddha. That's cool, you know. <laughs> Something else is going on here. It's just sort of watching the flow of things and, and just sort of not getting hung up on, you know, what's supposed to happen. She really loves the Nenju. <laughs> Mm. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Getting caught up in the flow of things, being part part of life. I mean, I was originally trained in Korean Zen and uh, have also done practice in Rinzai and Soto Zen, which are, of course, uh, forms coming to us from, from Japan. So Zen, both Korean and in, in the Japanese forms. And... That's ex- exactly what you're saying, Scott, is we have to do something. I mean, that's even kind of a Zen saying. And in the, in the koan training, as I've experienced it, that's what is just so terrifying, is that you have this question which you cannot answer by ordinary discursive thought. That's the whole, what, that's what a koan is. It's a question which becomes very urgent if it's working properly. And so you, you can't just go in and, and tell the teacher, well, this is what I thought yesterday, and now <laughs> what I'm thinking today. It just does not work like that, at, at least in the traditions I've been in. You have to answer. You have to answer with all of your life force. It has gained enormous centralized importance for you, and yet you also know that you just don't know, um, unless maybe in a flash of enlightenment you do know, and that's kind of never happened to me. So so it's this constant grappling with a sense of our own helplessness, exactly as you were saying, 
and of um, what what is of our own imperfection, of our our ignorance. It's a very humbling experience, and it's also, I think, directly applicable to say our lives. Again, you mentioned that you have a young child. As parents, there are times when we're confronted with situations where we don't know what to do, but we certainly have to do something. So it's like a perfect practice and preparation for those points in real life where we're not competent, or we're partially competent, or we're completely ignorant, and yet life presents us with a situation and we really do have to do something. That's pretty common, wouldn't you say? Wow, that sounds totally like Jodo Shinshi, <laughs> but totally different. It's so cool. <laughs> In what way? I'm this is curious. why we have to talk. Yeah. <laughs> because, yeah, I mean, the, the the points about like humility and imperfection and that stuff resonates. I think mm-hmm. for me as a Jodo Shinshi Buddhist, in terms of that's one of the big things I learned out of Jodo Shinshi because I think Shinran just puts it up front. He's like, I'm not perfect. Mm-hmm. There, <laughs> and I can't know yeah. good what's good and what's evil. If I knew that, then sure, I could totally act accordingly. But I have no idea. I can't know this, um, and yet still live your life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? You still have to make decisions. You still have to make choices. Hopefully, from compassion, but often not from the heart of compassion. Um, I think. Shinran kind of, for himself, expects it to be from the point of view of ignorance and harm, unfortunately, because of <laughs> an, an ego. Right? And yet, through that process and through that awareness of oneself, um, but it's in the context of Amida Buddha and the light and compassion of the Buddha, um, so that I think ideally we're transformed so that compassion activity does arise. But part of the process is being critical and not taking credit for that <laughs> and realizing, no, 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 there was ego in there or whatever. It's this kind of constant back and forth trying. I, I've become, come to see it as trying to channel Buddha energy, that the ultimate goal is pure compassion, trying to help others, trying not to be egocentric, trying to do things for others and to help others, with an also a, an awareness of how difficult, if not impossible, that is. And yet then not shutting down and being like, okay, I'm not going to do anything because I can't do any good, right? Nope, you just keep going. It's like this constant kind of back and forth of self-awareness, um, but also just activity, just being, just doing, trying trying to do the right thing. Um, constant back and forth. It's like never ending. Um, but but that uh, just hearing it in the context. So I, I heard like some kind of, Similar in the co- your description of the koan practice, but just totally different context. Mm-hmm. Right? Isn't Where, that interesting? Yeah. And what you're talking about to me also, just trying to do our best. That's what I call for myself, ant with a twink with a twinkie. <laughs> and I'll explain that to you. Which is that. I think I know her. Okay. <laughs> this is A N T. Yeah, that's what I was wondering. Which kind of ant? I also am an A U N T. But this well, that is, changes it. This is an <laughs> A-N-T, Ant with a Twinkie. So um, some years ago, and so I am a Mahayana Buddhist, which means that the vows I've taken are bodhisattva vows. 
And the teacher, my original teacher, who was a Korean Zen master, was very clear. He said, we are not bodhisattvas. We aspire to be bodhisattvas. So in other words, channeling bodhisattva energy, but hey, we're not there yet. Let's, let's be humble. Let's be clear about this. And that's, that's been my practice for many years. And so many years ago, I have a friend who is a Canadian Buddhist nun in the Korean Zen tradition. And she was living in Berkeley, and she has a bad back. And so she had purchased this bookshelf, and she needed to get it up to her apartment. And there was an elevator, luckily, and it was in her car in this parking garage, which was under the apartment complex. And so I thought, oh, I'll just go over and help. And unfortunately, I was, I was just completely insane, and I booked that helpful incident right before I was supposed to drive into San Francisco on a schedule to meet some other people. So I couldn't even have a, some leisure, some spaciousness around it. So I roar over, get out of my car. There's this big, really large bookcase. It's not only bulky, it is heavy. And it's not like I work out a lot either. But she, she clearly could not touch it at all because of the bad back. And so I, I got it out of her car, and then I tried to lift it. And we didn't have any, anything with wheels on it. I tried to lift it and figure out how I could get it into, into the elevator. And, and later on, I said, I said I just I was completely immobilized because it was re- it actually was too heavy for me to do but I had this will I had this intentionality <laughs> and I knew she was depending on me and I said at that moment the image that came into my mind that was like I was an ant the insect an ant and they I was like out scouting from the ant colony and I came upon this giant Twinkie that was filled with all that chemical cream in the middle and it's filled with sugar and it's enough to feed, you know, 10,000 ants. And I was just, and I'm, I'm just, I want to drag it back to the ant hill. And I'm completely motivated and ants are very strong, but they're not gonna be strong enough to carry the whole Twinkie. So that was my dilemma was I was an ant with a Twinkie. I had to do something. I didn't know how I could do it. It was impossible and I still had to do something. So what happened with the bookshelf? <laughs> I, I sort of worked it from one side to another. Yeah, yeah. You know, I walked used all the, of. I kind of walked yeah. it, and I grunted and was scared it was going to fall on me, and I managed, just by sheer force of will, my ant-like will, to, to push it into the elevator. Wow. And then we took it up to the second floor, and with sheer force of will, I pushed it into her apartment and said, I've got to go. So that's what I feel the bodhisattva vow is like. Oh, Clearly wow. yeah, impossible, yeah, yeah. Oh. still must do it. Did you ever consider like rolling it end over end? <laughs> that's what I would have tried. I did, but it's, it was too big. Too much, yeah. Yeah, couldn't do that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and with a Twinkie. Mm-hmm. We might have to rename this episode. Yeah. <laughs> yes, why Buddhism? Ant with a Twinkie. Because you're an ant with a Twinkie. <laughs> well, it's so much bigger than we are, I think. The Buddha Dharma. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Bodhisattva vow, all of that. Um, how mm-hmm. do you two th- feel mm-hmm. about it? 
Yeah, that's my, that sense of awe I was talking about before is part of that. There's just I just this realization that things are way bigger and more complicated and more difficult than you can ever possibly imagine. This comes up to me and a lot in conversations about karma, where people, you know, karma in the sort of popular imagination, oh, that's bad karma, or you know, even in uh, more Buddhist contexts, for lack of a better phrase, people have a better sense of karma. They still say, oh, you shouldn't do that. It's bad karma, or good karma, or whatever. And, yeah. I always think, you know, karma is the thing that the Buddha figured out the moment before he got enlightened. And he was already pretty far along the path. I know I'm not there yet. <laughs> so I'm not even going to begin to profess that I understand the workings of karma. Um, and that, so those moments in Buddhism to me are like when you, you know, think, try to think about the, the vastness of the universe. It's like we know, science knows how big the universe is, but it's still so inconceivably vast that you just can't wrap your mind around it it's just too it's just huge and yet you still got to do it you know mm -hmm. we still have to live our lives mm -hmm. and figure out a way through all of this stuff and hopefully you know not be jerks about it <laughs> <laughs> yeah. which isn't as easy as it sounds either <laughs> that that is a goal yeah <laughs> the comment about science and knowing the size of the universe is interesting to me because Sometimes we, I think, scientists think, yeah, we know. We know how big the universe is. We know all these distances. I sat there calculating it, you know, there, um, and I don't want to accuse scientists of anything, but uh, there can be a kind of arrogance there, I think, of thinking that by quantifying something, we can know it, right? Um, but rather than be critical of others, I would turn it on myself and just try and keep that awareness of myself too, of do I know what the Dharma is, right? Um, do I know right and wrong? Do I know this person is good or this person is bad? Um, I think that that really think that's part of Shinran's spirit is, um, I think he kind of allows himself to, or he views himself as very arrogant and um, uh, ignorant, right? Um, but I think sometimes he allows himself to make mistakes in his writings. Um, and then just has this flash where he realizes, no, that's my ego talking. That's, that's ridiculous. That's self-power. That's um, this, and that's not what it's about, right? It's about that bigger picture, um, that thing that's bigger than us. Uh, and so, so also on the science kind of side is this issue of, okay, so we know how big it is, so we've quantified it, so what? Does that answer any questions about how I should treat my neighbor or how I should treat myself? Um, it could, it could be part of an answer, but intrinsically, is there uh, any kind of ethics built into that? Uh, and I, I feel like that's part of what uh, Buddhism contributes also, is that there is this um, ethical aspect to it. But we're gonna have to put that off for a later episode. <laughs> <laughs>